the kind of alienation that many of us feel with our physical selves. I have friends at my church with physical disabilities, and it's something that they live in every single day when their bodies are not able to do what they want them to do. Uh, As I've gotten older, I've come to terms with that myself. Uh, Recently, I looked down at my my hands and I said, my goodness, those are starting to look like my grandma's hands. There's an alienation with our body. We may be at peace mentally and have internalized the truths of the gospel, but our bodies often tell us something different, as if there's sort of a disconnect. It's interesting. I, I was at a coffee shop recently, and the man sitting across from me at a table, it was a community table, and the folks to my right and to my left, there was a nervous agitation about them, and it wasn't just the coffee. And observing that, it wasn't an observation of judgment because I understand. I understand what it's like to be in a body that will not allow me to rest. I know what it's like to wake up very early in the morning filled with anxiety and fear. And the idea of facing the world that day is overwhelming. I know what that's like. David understood these feelings. So much so that I'm convinced that God allowed David, the king, to feel everything in this life. He had a huge heart, and he felt deeply, and he was given the Holy Spirit so that he was able to communicate the stirrings of his heart as a representative, not just of his own individual experiences with God and maybe the seeming absence of God, but could also express the heart of his people, Israel. These psalms, like the one that Rhonda, our sister Rhonda, read for us this morning, are the most ancient conversation between human beings and God in the world. (laughs) David wrote these words around 1000 BC. That is centuries before the sutras about Buddha were written down. It is centuries before Confucius. It is centuries before Socrates and the great philosophers. What we have at the very center of our Bible, because that's where the Psalms are, what we have in the very center of our Bible is an ancient conversation between the creator of all things and the capstone of his creation, you and me, who are created in his image. Jesus 
loved the Psalms. <laughs> Jesus quotes from the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. And Jesus would quote the Psalms when he was feeling deeply, when he was emotional in, a, in any given moment. You see, when I was a kid, I remember walking to Kokopah Middle School. That's in Scottsdale somewhere. And there was these two really nice men wearing suits, and they were the Bereans. Do any of you remember the Bereans? And they were handing out these little green plastic-covered Bibles. And they gave me one. And I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up here in the valley at Scottsdale Bible Church. And uh, I was a bit of a Pharisee, right? But this little Bible that he gave me, all that was in it were the Psalms and the Gospels. And I remember being a little judgmental about that and saying, ooh, that's a canon within a canon. This should have all 66 books in the Bible. But since then, I've come to realize why that was such a common thing to do. We read the four Gospels to know what Jesus said and did. We read the Psalms to know what was going on in his heart. How he felt. Something profound and mysterious is available to us, brothers and sisters, in the Psalms. The words of David expressed over a thousand, over a thousand years before the incarnation, 3,000 years ago, the words of David became our Lord and Savior Jesus' words. They became his prayer words. And because you and I are members of the body of Christ, we could pause for a moment and consider that. This morning we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup, which memorializes that reality. But brothers and sisters, we are members of the body of Christ, the same Holy Spirit that led him through the wilderness, through his ministry, is the same Holy Spirit that is indwelling us even now. Amen? And so the words of David, which became the words of Jesus, can become your words this morning. They're your words. Psalm 6 divides into two sections. Verses 1 through 7 is David expressing his heart. David is unable to sleep, right? Because our bodies have one job. Our bodies have one singular focus, which is to survive. That's how God designed our bodies to function. 
right, to live. If you're under the water in a pool just a little bit too long, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is not even a cognitive thing. We don't even think about it. Our bodies are designed to live, to survive. And here's the thing. We do not live in a safe world. Some of us were blessed with really involved parents that tried to protect us from that reality as long as they could. Some of us watched Mr. Rogers. (laughs) But there was a point when you grew up, whether you wanted to or not, and you realized that you're living in a violent, unsafe world. And when we become Christians, that realization only deepens because now we have to deal with verses like in Ephesians that says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? I, I think that may be the most ignored verse in the Bible. And I know why, because we're spending our day just trying to scrap enough money together to pay the mortgage. The last thing we want to think about is that you and I are caught up in a cosmic battle between good and evil. <laughs> and that we are attacked by things that are visible but we're also under attack by what is invisible. And Jesus understood that in a profound way. So brothers and sisters, how do we live in faith? How do we live in love and hope? How do we find a way to not just manage in this difficult life, but to actually rest? To be able to quiet our souls? The jaw that you're clenching right now? actually relax it and maybe have a good night's sleep tonight David is going to give us some guidance this morning and he is going to help us enter into that quietude of faith like when Jesus was asleep on the boat in the storm. (laughs) And he's going to invite us to do two things to the words of the psalm. The first is what I call a top-down worship. And that is where we use the cerebral cortex that God has given us, this top part of our brain, And we confront 
the distorted thinking in our mind with the truth that was given to us in the special revelation of Scripture. Right? This has nothing to do with our personal experiences or feelings. But what we're doing is aligning our minds with reality. Do you ever wonder why in the Psalms, David goes on and on telling God who he is? Folks, this is a smart church, right? You're all Presbyterians. God already knows who he is. Telling God who God is is not for his benefit, right? Telling God who God is is for our benefit, right? In Psalm 6, David reminds himself that God is full of, the Hebrew word is kesed, kesed loving kindness, faithfulness. I took a season, uh, like Pastor Eric said, I, I teach and I took some time and I studied the Psalms in their ancient Near Eastern context. Um, there were other cultures, right? The Hittites and the Akkadians and so on that had their own worship liturgies and they had something similar to these psalms. And so I went through and I read them. And, and one of the things I discovered, which I thought was really interesting, is you will find in other cultures in the Mediterranean, around this teeny little nation of Israel, you will find other people groups that have psalms. But in these psalms, it is always the human speaking to the gods Never once do those gods ever respond to the human. It's just a monologue. What makes these psalms in the Bible unique is the covenant God speaking through them. When you read the psalms beginning in Psalm 2, God is not silent, but God responds. Now, some of us may have experienced what are called locutions, where God may speak directly to you. Um, I've heard testimonies of Christians that have had those really dramatic moments with God. Um, others like to talk about the, 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 the still voice of the Spirit within their heart leading them. But I think for many Christians, when God responds, it's a little bit less dramatic. <laughs> and so David reminds God who God is and thereby reminds himself. He's using his cerebral cortex to educate his brain stem. <laughs> He's using his brain 
to calm down that little almond at the base called the amygdala, a top down. But David does something else in this psalm. It's what I call a bottom-up worship. Do you notice that David spends a lot of time describing how he feels? You see that? He goes into great detail even describing the tears that are coming down his face. He wants to teach us something, brothers and sisters. I pushed against this for years, right? I'm an academic, intellectual. I didn't have any interest in feelings. I thought feelings were a distraction. But you know what I've learned? How we feel is how we understand our life in a deeper way. You know, we, we, we talk, and we say things, and we make claims about God, and we've got all this head knowledge about God. But what happens is, over time, we become alienated from our hearts. And we have a hard time falling asleep. We have high blood pressure. Any number of things that are saying, you know what, there is something out of sync here. David could name his feelings. Can you? Besides boredom, what would be the dominant feeling right now in you? <laughs> right? David would identify that feeling and then he would express it to God. You see, it's both the top down and the bottom up that will contribute to our healing as human beings. It's not an either or. It's good to have solid doctrine. It's good to have solid theology. But sometimes Christians can be a bit evasive when it comes to the things of the heart because we have so less control over that, don't we? <laughs> Without any judgment, David invites us to be completely honest and real. You know, there were years where I just did not want to admit that I was really angry at my enemies. There have been some people in my life that have wronged me and my loved ones in profound ways. And because I love Jesus, and because I want to forgive, I never dealt with that anger and that rage. But David and Jesus invite us to be transparent with God. Pour your anxiety out to him. Pour your anger out to him. 
by pouring out your anger and letting God hold that, it will open up a door for you to actually begin to authentically forgive. Jesus quotes this psalm twice in the Gospels. And I wanted to just briefly take you to these two quotations to give you some space to draw closer to our Lord. The first quotation comes in John chapter uh, 12, verse 27. Jesus has just been betrayed by a friend, Judas. You know, we all know that John, the beloved disciple, was at Jesus' right, right, leaning against his chest. At that time, people would dine on couches. It was called a triclinium, and so typically you would have three people on one couch. So Jesus was reclining on a couch. John would have been here. Most likely, Judas would have been right here. Right? That's why the other disciples couldn't hear Jesus when he confronted Judas. Right? Judas was a friend. Judas was one of the twelve. Judas was included. He was loved. Jesus washed his feet, knowing he was going to betray him. And in that human experience, in verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. He took those ancient words of David and he attached it to his own personal emotional experience in this moment. Right? Jesus understands what it's like to have enemies, to be under attack. One of the remarkable things about Psalm 6 is there's an utter transformation that takes place. (laughs) And maybe you could hear it when Rhonda was reading the text, right? In the first seven verses, David is emoting, and he's despondent. He's surrounded by his enemies. But did you notice at verse 8, there's just a complete transformation in his personality? (laughs) in his feeling. At verse 8, the tone changes, right? And all of a sudden, David says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Do you see it? What's happened between verses 7 and 8? Nothing physically. (laughs) Those enemies are still nearby. The second place that Jesus quotes Psalm 6 is in the famous Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is talking about how someday he's going to return as judge and he's going to hold all the hypocrites accountable, including the religious leaders that like to do miracles in his name, but their heart was far away from him and they never knew Jesus. 
And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about being the judge. And then in verse 23, he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. And look at this. There's a quote from Psalm 6. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? The very verse, verse 8, in which David had a transformation. Why? Because David knew in faith that God will one day make all things right. Amen? (laughs) And that has only become more certain for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The reason why Jesus can encourage us to forgive our enemies and to love them even, a very radical teaching, is because he has taken responsibility for justice in the end. It's not a burden that we have to carry emotionally anymore. He wants to carry the burden of justice for us. And one day he will administer that justice in an absolutely perfect and complete way. Amen. The reason why David could quiet his heart and have that reframing experience was because he worshiped a God who listens. And David knew in in a deep way that when he cried out to God, that he was heard. Brothers and sisters, I invite you, you and I are all somewhere between request and response. It's the title of the sermon. Uh, We're all in that liminal place between Egypt and the promised land, aren't we? Right? We're, We're all carrying some of the traumas and the challenges of our everyday life, even in our bodies this morning. I see some of you yawning. <laughs> Not decent. Right? We carry that physicality in this room. But God invites us. He understands our humanity. Jesus understands our humanity. And he invites us to be transparent with him but also to internalize the truth of who he is and to wait on the Lord, which is how we're going to end our time together this morning. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Abba, Thank you that we may address you in your Son, sanctified by your Holy Spirit, that these words of David's given so many years ago have become the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who knows us, who has compassion for us, but is also powerful enough to respond. 
and he will, Lord. We know that Jesus, your son, is the final answer to all our prayers. We know that Jesus is the ultimate answer to every cry of injustice. We can pray in great confidence because you have already come to us, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, and you are with us even this morning as Emmanuel through the indwelling of your spirit. I ask, Father, that you would give us the grace and the empowerment to be obedient to your will and that that power would have a grace even in our bodies, in the deepest parts of who we are, working inside of our physicality, our brains. Lord, I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters this morning rest. Holy Spirit, speak to them in such a deep way, even below their consciousness, and that we can feel our bodies Relax in your presence, Father, because we know that you are holding us by grace and that you are sovereign. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us in this